0: Hot Take is brought to you by Lomi. Listeners have heard us talk about our struggle with composting. Um we are not good at it. <laughs> the word is out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's pretty involved. I don't have a yard to do outdoor composting. Worms are a little too similar to Mm -hmm. snakes for me to have that in my house. Mm -hmm. Um, So now I have a Lomi, so I don't have to worry about those things. Uh, Lomi allows me to turn my food scraps into dirt with the push of a button. Lomi is a countertop electric composter that turns scraps into dirt in under four hours. There's no smell when it runs and it's really quiet. Um, I feel great knowing that I'm composting and creating soil instead of waste. I have a basically limitless supply of dirt for my houseplants. Um, and since I got my Lomi, I throw out way less garbage. That means it's not going to landfills and producing methane. If you want to start making a positive environmental impact or just make cleanup after dinner that much easier, Lomi is perfect for you. Head to Lomi.com slash hot and use the promo code hot to get $50 off your Lomi. That's $50 off when you head to L-O-M-I dot com slash hot and use promo code hot at checkout. Boot waste is gross. Lomi is your solution. Hey, hotcakes. We are planning a mailbag episode, but first we need a bag full of mail. So we need <laughs> questions from you. Send your questions to hottake at cricket.com. That's hottake at cricket.com. And remember, that's just for questions. Uh, please continue to send all hate mail to Brian Kahn. That's B K A H N at protocol.com.
1: That's right. And you can send us anything. Questions about who's
0: policy, taller? Who's oh. taller
1: actually? Um it's me. Movies, TV shows, um politics, movement stuff. Mm-hmm. Some, what we have for know. breakfast? Yeah, whatever. Our cats. Um
0: <laughs> Oh right, cuz you have multiple <laughs> cats now. Yeah. Yes, I
1: do. Anything yeah. you want. Send it. If we don't know the answer and we want to include your question, we'll at least try to figure out the answers. So, um, so yeah, don't be shy. If you want to be anonymous, you can note that in your email, too.
0: Send us your questions. We will answer them to the best of our ability. Amy, what's your um, social security number?
1: No, no. Okay, Hot Take at Crooked.com. Send them in. Hey, hotcakes. Welcome to Hot Take. I'm Amy Westervelt.
0: And I'm Marianne Hegler. So the midterm results have continued to roll in and they've changed the math a little bit. Arizona Mm -hmm. and Nevada have now both been called for the Democrats, uh, which gives them control of the Senate. Georgia is, as expected, going to a runoff election. And I I really need that to go the right way. I can't say Senator Herschel Walker, Amy. I can't do it. (laughs)
1: I know, I know. Brutal. Georgia, why you got to put us through it every time? Why? I mean, really?
0: Oh, <laughs> but no, that's too that's too hard on Georgia cuz Georgia used to be that's a true. lock for Republicans and now look. That's true. So, that's you're true. doing that's amazing, true. Georgia. So proud of Keep you. Keep it up, sweetie. Yes. Yes. Love it.
1: <laughs> um Yeah, the House still looks like it's going to go to the Republicans, but definitely by much fewer seats than anyone was projecting. Um, The Lauren Boebert race has still not been called, but it's looking like she might eke that one out.
0: Uh, Uh, (laughs) We are recording (laughs) on Wednesday morning. By the time you hear this on Friday, maybe you have different news. Maybe you have better news. I don't know. That's true. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, maybe Uh, I know the Wisconsin race hadn't been called when we taped last week either. But it went to Ron Johnson. (laughs) Between that and retaining control of the Senate and the Democrats are actually in good shape coming out of the midterms. Is that possible? Yeah. Yeah, it's. um. It's
1: kind of wild that like the the red wave definitely did not materialize, which, you know, we talked about last time, but like even more, even more than than we thought. It did not materialize. And a really important thing to keep in mind is that the secretaries of state in both Arizona and Nevada went to the Democrats, which is great news for election integrity in 2024. Both of the people that were running for that on the GOP ticket were hardcore election deniers. Mm -hmm. Um, And the secretary of state, you know, is like the person in the state who decides whether or not they're going to accept election results. Mm -hmm. Um,
0: So that's good, especially because guess who's back, Mary? I I know the answer and I don't want to ask because I don't want to hear you say it. I know, it's terrible.
1: Trump did announce Ah! last night at Mar-a-Lago that he is once again running for president, which, by the way, is a a lot of faith in an election system that he still claims is rigged.
0: I mean, that's true, right? That's part of Mm -hmm. how you know the big lie is a lie. Um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I I didn't watch the announcement. Did he come down a golden escalator again this time?
1: I also did not watch it, but apparently the song Rocket Man was involved.
0: <laughs> we live on the dumbest place and the dumbest time. I, Yeah. I'm, yeah. Just, I'm just thinking back to like if he had been actually impeached after he, I don't know, had some you know had an insurrection he wouldn't be able to run well i
1: know that's the thing i'm also like um why like the doj or whatever that that fbi raid happened months ago and i'm assuming they found some shit and i know that like they're trying to be very careful and and get all their ducks in a row before they do anything like indicting trump or um or whatever but like i don't know I, feel, I like, feel like he shouldn't be allowed to run.
0: <laughs> I feel like putting us in a position where he can run for president again is anything but careful. Is the definition of careless. I agree. I agree. You know, like we, especially yeah. after everything we saw in the in the Hill hearings mm-hmm. about the insurrection, mm-hmm. like he was so he was it more was involved worse. than I thought, and it was yeah. really bad with what we saw with our naked eye on the day of. He should not be able yeah. to run for president again, and yet here we the fuck are. I just, I don't know. I'm sure we'll talk more Mm -hmm. about this going on for the rest of our goddamn lives, Amy. So in other news, uh, a lot of state legislators went to the Democrats, too. And some important Mm -hmm. ballot initiatives passed, too. So in New York, Proposition 1, the Clean Water, Clean Air, and Green Jobs Environmental Bond Act passed. That authorized $4.2 billion (laughs) for projects dealing with climate change resilience. Um, mm-hmm. In El Paso, Texas, they passed Prop C, helping to fund the city's climate action plan. Yeah, Wayne County, Michigan, the county Detroit is in, passed a big public transit measure by a landslide. Colorado mm-hmm. passed a universal free lunch program for schools, and there were lots of others. So it'll be interesting to, you know, to see what happens in the next couple of years.
1: Yeah, I I thought like those, um, the like the... El Paso Climate Action Plan funding and the Wayne County Public Transit funding seemed really, really like a big deal. Well, the New York funding, too, like that's a that's basically like it's a lot a, of money. You know, New York's Green New Deal thing. You yeah. Know? Um, so, yeah. But especially El Paso, Texas, like, you know, passing funding for a full on climate action plan, you know, given how much. Texas really just did not go the Dems' way in any other way <laughs> during yeah. the election um, was interesting. was interesting to see. The other thing that actually I thought was really interesting is um, in exit polls. So in the polls going into the election, everyone was saying climate is just not something people care about right now, right? It was like mm-hmm. gas prices, inflation, blah, blah, blah. In the exit polls, climate was the, the number two tied with abortion, Wow. Um, yeah. Wow. So wait. Yeah. And l- before crime, before mm. crime, this is according to the AP poll. Yeah. So, like, that's a pretty big deal.
0: Well, as uh, I learned from you, climate change is a crime. So, technically. Well, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but mm-hmm. so, yeah, I do remember folks saying that climate isn't a top concern. Candidates shouldn't talk about climate. That's not what the voters yeah. care about. What mm-hmm. was that data? based on what or what was that assumption based on
1: that was like early polling data mm-hmm. again but see this is why I just feel like those things are not they're just not as reliable as they've been made out to be right I think it's mean, seriously
0: if, how do you if, get the data like, you have to
1: call right you have to call people and like
0: girl I don't anybody know answering the
1: phone yeah, and also, like, if they're talking, like, what, how is the question being asked? And who? I don't know. I just feel like it's really hard to, to like, pin that down. So anyway, I mean, you know, the exit polls a poll too. But I feel like at that point, people have already voted. So it's a little easier for them to tell you, like, what was, you know, what yeah. they were thinking about. Plus, I think that's a big indicator of um, how big the the Gen
0: Z turnout was. Can I ask a dumb question? Isn't yeah. aren't exit polls done like as you're walking out of your poll out of your voting? Site? Yeah, usually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to like get somebody to answer the phone. So we actually right. talk to there. someone under fifty.
1: That's right, and they're already like like there, and they're they're there. They just voted. They've dedicated some time to voting. They're not, you know, like it's sort of. Um, so anyway, yeah. To me, I'm like, oh, this is very very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, the other thing that we're going to talk about today and we're going to spend the rest of the episode talking about is the other kind of developing story we mentioned last time, which is the 27th conference of the parties or COP happening in Egypt right now.
0: Yeah. 27. (laughs) That means that a Saturn is returning, Amy. The Saturn is (laughs) returning on COP. So. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot to talk about. Yeah. So, it's time, yeah. Amy.
1: It's time to talk about climate.
0: Okay.
1: Okay. All right. Let's, let's get into it. Yeah, let's <laughs>
0: cover some basics. So, COP stands for Conference of the Parties, um is the big international climate talks um, that happen every year in a, in a different country. Like probably the most famous one is Paris um, at this point, the one that took place in 2016. Um, But it's been going on for, for quite a while. You've been following it for a while. So tell us some of the history. So the, the, the parties
1: are the, the signatories to the United Nations framework convention on climate change. So yeah. that, the UNFCCC, um, was drafted and signed on to by a bunch of countries in 1992 in Rio at the Rio Earth Summit. This is like a really pivotal point in, in sort of climate policy history because it was sort of the first big international climate summit. And uh, George Bush Sr. in the lead up to it was like all four you know, tackling climate change, and then suddenly he gets to Rio, and his tune has changed dramatically. And he's saying, "Well, you know, we can't act on this problem at at the um, um, at the risk of hurting the economy. Like, yes, we want to do something, but we're not going to do anything that impacts the economy or Americans' way of life." Um, <laughs> That's yes. just so
0: funny to hear because in 1992, dog. Like (laughs) hurting the economy, you really could have solved climate change without much of an economic impact. You really could. I
1: know. Well, yeah, because they could have started. So if they started so early, they could have done this like slow process that they want to start now, right? (laughs) Um, And and yeah, so um, that's like the other big thing I think to know is that the fossil fuel industry was at Rio in force. Um, the, the global climate coalition, which was this sort of, um, trade group that brought together, not just oil companies, but like automotive manufacturers, other kinds of manufacturing, pretty much everybody that would be impacted by regulation on emissions. Um, and they were there, I mean, in, in pretty major numbers and, and very much like, um, you know, kind of. Saw this coming and were very well prepared for it and got out in front of it, suggesting a lot of like voluntary actions by industry um, and, and really made it made it into a business friendly conference and a business friendly framework. So, you know, the C is non-binding. It is all, you know, kind of um, self Uh, self-regulating when it comes Uh to industry and emissions and all of that stuff. Um, And, you know, I just, I feel like it's important for people to understand that, that like that was baked into this process from jump. Um, That's not a new thing. And, you know, and it's also, again, like to me, I'm like, okay, the fossil fuel industry has had a quote unquote seat at the table for 30 years and like, look where we're at. Surely it's time to kick them out.
0: Yeah. So uh, were fossil fuel companies sponsors of the first UN conference? Like, is there money involved between they didn't, the two?
1: No, they didn't really have sponsors at that one. It was like uh, more of like a a typical kind of heads of state meeting type thing. Um, but the industry did have large delegations of people and they were hosting like side events the whole the whole way through um there's a guy that that i've covered a bit named e bruce harrison who was like a a legendary pr guy um Mm -hmm. who really helped to kind of like craft the industry's approach to this and um and really like is kind of he's known as the father of greenwashing Um, oh what a distinction (laughs) I know. And he really, he really more than anyone, I think, came up with this idea of like um, of companies kind of doing like being able to sort of announce initiatives that sound good, but aren't really doing much, you know? Um, So he really was like, Oh, well, if we talk about how we're all going to, you know, voluntarily reduce the emissions associated with refining oil, then they'll get, they'll get off our backs on any kind of, like, actual regulation. And it worked. Hmm. Um, so, uh, Mary, now, you know, these have been going on for a long time. What was the first year that you remember kind of first tuning into this or, or like, paying attention to it?
0: Um, first time I really paid attention was in 2015 with the big cop mm. in Paris that gave us the Paris Agreement. Um yep. Technically I'd heard of the of COP before that, but I didn't know it had a name. Um, because I was volunteering at this newspaper in the sky, an older journalist who's retired but still volunteered there, had gone to the gone to Cop and came back and was like, You guys are fucked, your future is a wrap and blah blah blah. And I was just like, I can't <laughs> handle this. Uh, I'm twenty-two and I like oh, sounds God. like there's nothing I can do about this, so I'm just gonna move on. Um, But yeah, by 2015, I was already, you know, had been working in the environmental movement in earnest since 2014. Um, And that was right around the time that I was learning that the earth had already warmed by a degree. Um, Mm -hmm. I didn't, I had not yet internalized the fact that the globe had warmed and that global warming was not something we can stop. So I was going through like a pretty profound Moment With my climate grief um, at that mm. point. Um, and then seeing the Paris Agreement pass and like everybody around me was celebrating on these people had been working on climate change much longer were I thought more steeped in the science and everything. Um, but I was watching them celebrate this agreement that said make best efforts to keep it at 1.5, but definitely keep it at two degrees. And knowing what I knew about how much the earth had already warmed, I was like, that doesn't one, that doesn't seem achievable from what you've outlined. And two, uh, that doesn't seem like a great goal. Yeah. Yeah. So I was very befuddled by that. Yeah. I mean,
1: I think, I think that's like an important, um, thing to kind of mention is just especially because the the whole like um 1.5 target is is like coming up a lot right now in terms of you know have we blown past it is it gonna get chucked out as a target even um all of that stuff and like a I think that it's like important for folks to understand that It was absolutely a political compromise. This wasn't scientists saying, oh, you know, 1.5 seems like it would be safe. Um, I think we can all look around at, you know,
0: one degree plus a
1: little. Yeah, like one degree plus is not looking so good. So I I can't, you know, I can't imagine that any any scientists were like, sure, that sounds good. Yeah, sounds awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, I was just going to say, so yeah, there's that. And then also like, Um, again, Paris was non-binding, although like we're going to talk in a little bit about um, some of the ways that it, it still was used to kind of hold countries to commitments.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, Amy, what about you? I know you've been, you know, covering the climate beat for quite some time. What's the first COP that you paid attention to? I mean, I kind of, you know, they were,
1: like you, like it was sort of happening in the periphery and I would sort of tune in and tune out. Um, But the one that I vividly remember, I don't know, sort of closely paying attention to was was 2009 in Copenhagen. So this Mm. was like when Obama was president, Democrats had control of the government and there was actually quite a bit of momentum, again, behind actually doing something on climate. One of the many times where we thought maybe this will be the one. Uh. Um, and and actually, like, in a kind of similar way to, to other big inflection points, there was a lot of money and, and effort going into trying to derail those talks. Mm-hmm. Um, so... First of all it's the it's the first cop I remember there being like a really significant and noticeable amount of protest and also coverage of that protest so like mm. media coverage of it like the um the 350 folks were really like making a splash at that conference and also a lot of the the island nations were there talking about how you know they were going to be underwater in you know a decade or or two this is like the the cop that the um the president of the maldives did this like mm-hmm. now somewhat well known like underwater cabinet meeting you know um so it was really like there was quite a bit of um of protest happening from particularly global south countries and youth activists there was like a, a, th- this is also the first time i remember seeing like really large numbers of youth climate activists
0: mm-hmm. um, and how how old would those youth activists be right now
1: like in their 40s yeah um, <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah it's funny cuz i like i i have seen some coverage of today's youth climate movement kind of act like that's a new thing. But really, like, even at the very first Rio Earth, the Rio Earth Summit in 1992, a significant amount of the media coverage, if you look back at, like, archival news, is teenagers giving impassioned speeches at the fucking Rio Earth Summit in 1992. (laughs) So, like, yeah, young Mm. people have been concerned about this issue for a long, long time.
0: Yeah. Um, it this also, is also the, oh yeah, go ahead. It, it also makes me think about how, you know, folks see the Gen Z protesting and, you know, crying their hearts out about climate change and they're like, the kids are all right. Like, they're going to solve this. And it's like, well, they might get older and it ain't solved.
1: And also like, yeah, well, yeah, it's so much to put on them and they've been trying. And like, you know, the, the reality is like, no one without a significant amount of power is going to be able to solve it, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Yeah. Um, the other the other thing that happened at the the Copenhagen COP was uh, climate gate. This was like a big scandal at the time.
0: Oh my gosh! Yeah, I completely missed this in the news when it happened. Um, oh, but I. Yeah. I d- it kind of like hangs over the environmental movement as this kind of like this ether, this thing that's kind of whispered about. So yeah. yeah, please break it down for me. What was Climategate?
1: Yeah, it was wild. So So basically a bunch of, you know, kind of right-wing operatives working on behalf of the fossil fuel industry got hold of some emails that climate scientists were exchanging and pieced together like, pieces of those emails to make it look like the climate scientists were colluding to make climate change see worse than it was. Mm. Um, and they went to the press with this and there were a few stories. Um, and then it was very quickly debunked, sure. but they had done, they did this thing and this came up in, in like a, um, a climate disinformation guide that came out ahead of this COP that's happening in Egypt this year um climate gate was like an example that was used because what happened was like a bunch of of media outlets in their debunking coverage kept referring to climate gate which was like the name that the right wing had given it so it had the effect of sort of like Fanning the flames and making it seem like it was something that had actually happened when it was completely, you know, it like almost immediately tossed out. But, um, but yeah, this is like also when you start to see the fossil fuel industry really going after climate scientists. So, mm. um, they start to really go after, particularly this guy named Ben Santer, uh, Michael Mann, who people might know today still still out there going on the news and stuff like they this is when they really um kind of started to do these personal attacks on climate scientists which was not a thing really mm-hmm. before um, before the Copenhagen thing there's also like there's some research on um on what the fossil fuel lobby has spent and when and and this Cop, the Copenhagen cop was is like one of the, the times that they spent the most mm-hmm. on kind of counter advertising so so yeah it was it like really it's burned in my brain there was a bunch of stuff happening
0: i mean honestly that sounds like a story that would definitely like you're the disinformation queen <laughs> like yeah I so, was,
1: oh my god what happened here
0: yeah do you think that um Do you think that that was, like, a moment that really set climate journalism back, right? Because I feel like that's when you got to really see how you can weaponize even just the tiniest bit of misinformation about science. And it's, like, really Mm -hmm. difficult to pull it back. So do you feel like that was a moment where climate journalists were, like, became a lot more reticent to put anything out there that wasn't kind of just, like, scientific jargon? Like, not even try to interpret it? I... Do do
1: think that happened a little bit, but I also think that because of that, because of ClimateGate and because of all the stuff that had happened around climate denial in the 90s, too, that climate journalists actually experienced, like, the massive disinformation strategy that every other type of journalist is experiencing now. Yeah. Like, t- 10, 15 years early. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And it never stopped. Um, <laughs> It never stopped. So I. I it's weird because it's like, yes, people were definitely sort of caught off guard by it then. Yeah. But I feel like it's it's made the climate journalists who are working today kind of a lot more, a lot better at being more discerning about sources and, you know, how to present things and, and a lot more, like, concerned about not um, accidentally spreading disinformation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So, yeah. I I mean, I feel like, actually, it it was a big moment for (laughs) fact-checking. You know, it was sort of like, oh, wow, like, we really need to be much more careful about um, fact-checking this stuff. But, you know, it, it, like, despite the fact that it was quite clownish and that it was almost immediately, you know, revealed to be a complete farce, I think it had somewhat its desired effect. Like, it definitely you know, put a seed of doubt in people's minds about climate scientists and whether they can be trusted
0: Mm -hmm. Um,
1: and whether they had like, you know, agendas and whatever. Um, So,
0: yeah. 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 So to our listeners, we're definitely going to get around to talking about the COP that's happening right now in Egypt. But we want to talk a little bit more about the history of COP. So let's talk about yeah. Kyoto. Um, that was the last binding yeah. treaty and the U.S. signed on, but then famously failed to ratify the treaty. What, what happened yeah. there, Amy? Yeah, that, this one really
1: is like such a gut punch. Mm-hmm. Um, so 37 industrialized nations, including the U.S., this was at um, the COP. In 1997 in Kyoto, Japan, they came together, came up with this agreement, accepted that it was a binding target and and said, okay, between 2008 and 2012, we're going to reduce our emissions to 5 percent below 1990 levels. Um, One thing to note is that even though the commitment was binding, there was no enforcement mechanism written into this treaty. I mean, the U.N. does not have an army. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But it was binding. Right. And then right after this in the U.S., you had the Bush Gore election.
0: Right. Um, So Clinton was the one who did Kyoto. That's right.
1: And so um, so you had at that point, Bush was the most oil funded presidential candidate ever. Today, it's Trump. Trump (laughs) has superseded him. Oh Wow. But yeah, you had Bush, but more importantly, you had his vice president, uh, Cheney, who was like a longtime oil and gas guy. Um, And they were absolutely determined to not let like it was sort of like we cannot let Al Gore become president and like find a way to ratify this treaty. Mm. Um, So the Republican Party was really like all hands on deck with that election and big weird coincidence. Who was running the RNC at that time? The wife of E. Bruce Harrison, the guy who crafted the whole like pro-corporate approach to, to international climate uh, policy back in the 90s. So um, she was there. I'm sure he was there as well right. helping out. And we have this very shaky election um, you know, that, that ends up being given to Bush, but only after like a lot of, you know, debate about how votes were counted. And I don't know, I still look back on that and I'm like, oh man, what a moment in history, (laughs) you know, (laughs) like, um, but anyway, so yeah, then, uh, Bush becomes president. One of the first things he does is, um, you know, orchestrate to have a, a vote, on Kyoto, and the, the idea is to not ratify it, which he's successful in doing. And now the U, the U.S. is not a party to Kyoto, which actually has come back up in this year's COP, because um, there are still various aspects to the Kyoto Protocol that the countries that signed on to it are doing. Um, and, and one of them is something that the U.S. has started to do as well. And so the U.S. was trying to, like, get into the meetings about it. And um, they were, like, they were told to beat it because they're
0: not <laughs> part of Kyoto. Well. <laughs> and there's no way to go back and get and be part of Kyoto, is there?
1: I don't think so. I mean, I guess that... Congress could move to ratify that treaty now, but they missed the window. I mean, it was 2008 to 2012 that they would have been, you know, trying to hit those targets. So it's kind yeah, of I know. A, a moot point at this point. But again, it's like, God, imagine if they had actually done that. There's so many of these points throughout like the history of the the cops that are just sort of like um, near misses.
0: Yeah, I feel like, you know, acting on climate is like going to the dentist. The need to go doesn't get less with time. Like waiting That's gets true. makes it severely it gets worse. worse. <laughs> like, yeah. oh, you needed a filling. Now you need a root canal. Oh, shit. Now you lost the tooth. Well. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay. Yes. And we've already talked about the Paris agreement that everybody's, you know, talking about and reminder, that's also not binding. Um, So Mm -hmm. at this point is cop, just a nation state level PR conference.
1: I mean, there is definitely an air of that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not going to claim otherwise. Like it's, it's bizarre. Like there's, you know, there's like a convention hall where all of the, um, oil companies and related industries get to have like trade show booths and shit, you know,
0: (laughs) it's bizarre.
1: Um, and you know, like at this, at this cop you have Saudi Arabia just greenwashing its ass off. Um, but I will say like, even with Paris, we just talked about how it was non-binding. That is true. However, it has been used in court cases actually successfully, to kind of force governments to do more. So there's a a pretty well-known case um, called Urgenda that happened in the Netherlands. Uh, There's a case in France. There was one in Ireland. There's been quite a few where um, citizens have said, look, you signed on to this commitment and you're doing the opposite. Like you're actually funding more fossil fuel development and you can't do that and those arguments have been successful in court so even though the the agreement itself is non-binding people still take it seriously when governments like sign on to an agreement or a pact or whatever and it does have some some implications for climate policy the other mm-hmm. big thing that happens at COP is a lot of discussion around finance. Um, we're going to talk about that in a little more detail in a minute. But um, but that also has a big impact. You know, like if there are decisions that are made at COP around, you know, debt or funding climate adaptation or things like that, that sends a big signal to, to world markets around, you know, what can and can't get funded. So, yeah. Those are like the two big things. I do not think that it needs to be this like weird trade show. Um, I think that like, the negotiators can meet in person, and nobody else really needs to be there, with the the exception of maybe like protesters.
0: Yeah, know? I was just gonna say, yeah. I, I the biggest value I see of COP is creating an an environment where activists and others from the global south and from vulnerable communities can directly yeah. confront the powerful. Um, that's right. Yeah, I think I think that's important, but a lot of the other and stuff. in a
1: way that like gets media coverage usually too, you know, so, so that does seem important, but yeah, I don't, I don't understand why they're still allowing massive fossil fuel delegations, which it's, it's even more this year than it was last year. Are you kidding? Um, No, it's a 25% increase from last year. Wow. (laughs) And, and that doesn't even include like, uh, it's actually probably much more because it doesn't include the delegates from Uh, oil states you know state-run oil companies it doesn't include anyone who's affiliated with the host country um so like i don't know there's a bunch of ways that people can kind of get around having to be listed as official um participants one really funny one well funny slash sad is that um apparently bernard looney president of BP was listed as the as the negotiator for, oh, yeah, Mauritania.
0: So we'll we'll talk more about, um, you know, everything going on at COP, including this bullshit um, and a little bit more about, you know, why are there so many corporations and lobbyists at COP after the break? Hot Take is brought to you by Outer Known. Outer Known was founded by pro surfer Kelly Slater to make clothing sustainably. Sustainability is not something Outer Known takes lightly. It's literally why the company exists. Outer Known offers women's and men's clothes where style meets sustainability. Outer Known takes care of the planet by using organic, recycled, and regenerated materials. And they take care of the people who make their clothes by providing safe working conditions and a fair living wage. Um, it has finally um, gotten cold here in New Orleans, and mm. I mean like cold, cold. It's been in like, at night, it'll get into the 40s. Oh, wow. And um, you know how I am about being cold. I do. I don't like it. Not a fan. Um, so I've been <laughs> not a fan at all. So I've been wearing my Outer known jackets, and one thing I love about them is that they have a lot of pockets, um, mm. which came in really handy. Um you know, when you're about to go to a parade or a second line or something and you don't want to be carrying around a bag with you. So oh, that's awesome. Shout out to Outer Known for that. Yes. Um, the other cool thing about Outer Known is that they will allow you to sell your clothes back and sell, and they sell used clothes that you can buy on their site. That is um, awesome. Fall is here, and Outer Known is the perfect place to update your wardrobe with their best selling blanket, shirt, or any of their many sustainably sourced cashmere sweaters. Nice.
1: Cashmere,
0: Amy. I know. Cashmere.
1: I know, which is amazing because I, I feel like cashmere is one of those things that I like a lot, but I don't ever buy because it's usually extremely not sustainable. So it's cool that they found mm-hmm. a way to do that. And that I'm, I'm presuming some people maybe even sell their sweaters back and you can get them secondhand. So awesome on both sides. Who knows? Friends.
0: Yes. You know? The only way to find out is to go to outerknown.com today and enter the code HOT at checkout and you'll get 25% off your full price order. That's outerknown.com. O-U-T-E-R-K-N-O-W-N dot com and remember to use the code HOT at checkout for 25% off. Check them out today. outerknown.com, and don't forget to use promo code HOT for 25% off. That is, again, O-U-T-E-R-K-N-O-W-N dot and use the code hot
1: this show is sponsored by better help listen everyone needs therapy the end that's the end <laughs> I'm, I'm really serious I, like i cannot tell you how many times i hear someone talking about some problem with their life and i'm like oh maybe you should try therapy <laughs> Um, yeah yeah and BetterHelp is a great way to do that especially actually I would say for people who are not super used to therapy and just want to like dip their toe in the water and see what it's like this is a very low risk way to do that Um, you can find Mm -hmm. a therapist very quickly online you can find all kinds of different specialties you can try people out from all over so that like amazingly opens up the whole pool of therapists available to you and you can fire your therapist without ever telling them which is probably something that most therapists would would say is like terrible avoidance behavior but I don't care it's awkward as fuck um (laughs) yeah yeah It's like – it's honestly like kind of nice to be able to just switch it up um, when you know that it's not a good fit and not feel like you have to wait for the right time to have that conversation. Um, Mm -hmm. I personally like how they're kind of always available to you. Um, If you are up in the middle of the night and thinking about something, you can shoot a note to your therapist without bothering them and they'll get back to Mm -hmm. you when they can. You can set up video calls if you want or just – you know, do messages back and forth, whatever works for you.
0: Mm -hmm. You can let your insomnia work for you. It's true.
1: As the world's largest therapy service, BetterHelp has matched 3 million people with professionally licensed and vetted therapists available 100% online. Plus, it's way more affordable than offline therapy. Just fill out a brief Mm -hmm. questionnaire to match with a therapist, and if things aren't clicking, you can easily switch. You don't have to wait in a waiting room. You don't have to sit in traffic. You don't have to spend months and months and months looking for the right therapist. It's all right here. You can learn more and save 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash hot take. That's better slash hot
0: take. Okay, Amy. Why are corporations yes. and lobbyists such a big part of COP? Uh,
1: well, like I said before, they have been there since the beginning. <laughs> um, so it's sort of like... <laughs> it's time immemorial. It's, yeah. So if it's sort of this thing where it's kind of slowly grown year over year. Um, I think there's very much this sense, and, and you heard Cristiana Figueres saying this last year at Glasgow. Like, I, you know, we had... Um, we had a, a couple of episodes where we talked about this, but you know, there was that moment where she had hosted this pre cop event and uh, an activist got on stage, you know, in a panel with the Shell CEO. Yes. Yeah. And, and like, like let him have it, which was a, a an amazing moment. But, um, you know, Cristiana Figueres was very like, oh, you know, kind of the whole, we need to compromise, we need to talk, we need to have everyone at the table, blah, blah, blah. She's yeah. she one of the architects of the 1.5 deal and has been celebrated as, as you know, a negotiator um, and someone who's able to get people to come to the table and compromise and all that, which is, you know, a skill, Um <laughs> But I would just say that, like, again, I'm like a broken record on this. Um, This is not an issue where compromise is a positive outcome.
0: Definitely Um, not at this point.
1: Yeah. Unfortunately, like, the atmosphere and the physics of our planet don't give a shit about your political compromises. They seriously (laughs) don't. Or your diplomatic skills, you know? Like, I'm sorry, but... Um. yeah. So anyway, unfortunately, um, big corporations have always had a seat at the table when it comes to COP and their seat has just gotten bigger every year. And it's going to require the UN saying no to that for them to, to stop growing their delegation. But I don't see that happening, especially when next year COP is being hosted by an oil state, the United Arab Emirates. So, Uh, Isn't
0: Egypt also a petrol state?
1: (laughs) They have five state-owned oil companies. So yeah, there you go. The Ministry of Petroleum and Mineral Resources, under which five state-owned companies operate. So yeah. And apparently earlier this year, Egypt moved to increase its investments in state-owned oil. Um, So yeah. Egypt is also a petrostate.
0: There we go. (laughs) There we go. Uh, uh,
1: Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, like I said before, there are 25% more um, delegates from fossil fuel companies this year than there were last year. That gives them a total of 636 delegates. So just like last year, if the fossil fuel industry was a country, they would have by far the most delegates at COP. Wow. Than any other country, um, and that does not include the, like I said, the delegates from oil states. So there's Saudi Arabia, United Arab Emirates. Actually, Russia's climate envoy is there as well. <laughs> um, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. This also reminding me about a lot of these petro states signed the Paris Agreement and have done jack right. shit to become not petro states.
1: Yeah, I mean Saudi Arabia was really um, integral in the whole IPCC process this last round. So that's the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change that puts out an assessment report every few years. Um, Mostly it's, you know, scientists and academics who are drawing from the available research, but at the very last There's a a summary for policymakers and that is um, negotiated to death by people from various countries, including Saudi Arabia and the United States, both of which were were sort of actively pushing for um, less language on, you know, emissions reductions and more on carbon capture and (laughs) all of those kinds of things. So, so yeah, they're Mm -hmm. definitely... um, you know, lobbying on behalf of the fossil fuel industry. Also, I want to point out that um, Egypt, the host country this year, has its own PR team for COP. And oh. they are none other than Hill & Knowlton, the PR firm that not only created the whole science denial strategy for big tobacco, but actually really acted as a bridge between the tobacco and oil industries. So oh. um, they were... They were representing tobacco and oil at the same time, kind of all along. They got the tobacco guys into the API, the American Petroleum Institute. Um, That led to the tobacco and oil guys partnering up to create the cigarette filter. Uh, So, yeah, these are not the guys for your climate conference today today. They um, represent the the Oil and Gas Climate Initiative, which is a coalition of 12 of the world's largest oil companies who are theoretically coming together to tackle climate change, but, I don't know, seems more like strategizing to avoid regulation. (laughs) So,
0: So they hire liars is what I'm hearing?
1: Yeah, who have a, like, major track record in working for the fossil fuel industry. Those guys are, I mean, they're... Handling press briefings, they are um, really, yeah, the comms arm for Egypt at this COP.
0: Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it shows how guilty you are and who you hire to represent you. So, yep, yeah, it's true. Um, but I guess as as a little bit of good news, uh, at least that this year's COP is no longer being sponsored by Coca Cola. Apparently, they're out as the official
1: sponsor, although they're still there as a sponsor. So it's a little bit like funky. Um, Yeah.
0: Explain why Coca Cola being a sponsor of Cop is ridiculous.
1: I have never been a big white wine person, and especially not in the fall. But after becoming a member of First Leaf, I'm a convert. First Leaf knew exactly what types of whites to send me that felt familiar and delicious and would get me excited about trying something new. I love First Leaf because they make it easy to get personalized wine delivered on my schedule right to my door. Since I choose the day that my shipment comes, I'm never stressing out about missing a delivery, and every selection is backed by First Leaf's 100% satisfaction guarantee. I love how I just have to answer a few questions and they just know what I'll like. No more zoning out in the store looking at a hundred different bottles and trying to pick the right one. Give your palate what it really wants with First Leaf. Go to tryfirstleaf.com slash drilled to sign up and you'll get your first six Hand curated bottles for just forty four ninety-five. That's T R Y F I R S T L E A F dot com slash drilled. Try firstleaf.com dot com slash drilled. This holiday season, get a gift for yourself too, and keep it simple. I gave myself the gift of a better, more convenient laundry experience. I know, I know, laundry doesn't sound like a gift, but honestly, EarthBreeze just makes it so much easier. Think about how you actually do laundry. You have to work out how much detergent to pour, lift that big plastic jug, hope the goo doesn't get everywhere. It's annoying. But EarthBreeze Sheets look like nothing I've ever seen in the detergent aisle. It's almost, it's like a dryer sheet kind of, but it's the detergent and you throw it in and then that's it. There's no measuring, no nothing. It works in hot and cold. It's also dermatologist tested, hypoallergenic and free of bleach and dyes. And it fights everyday stains and odors. You get a powerful clean, but you don't have to deal with all that packaging. Right now, my listeners can get started with EarthBreeze and save 40 percent for 0 4-0, 40%. Go to earthbreeze.com slash drilled. That's E-A-R-T-H-B-R-E-E-Z-E dot com slash drilled for 40% off your subscription. earthbreeze.com slash drilled. Well, Coca-Cola is one of the world's largest producers and users of single use disposable plastic, which is made from petroleum, yeah. Um and you know there's there's a whole bunch of reasons that that plastic is definitely a climate issue it's kind of it was dismissed for a long time as like oh that's litter that's a, a separate issue it's not a separate issue it's literally made from petroleum or these days mostly a, a byproduct of the fracking process so it, it it requires the oil and gas industry to exist all of the top companies that produce plastic are household oil and gas companies Um, and in, in a lot of cases, the, the revenue that they're getting from plastic is what is enabling them to continue to develop new fossil fuel resources. So even if you look at it and you go, oh, well, you know, plastic is only 5% of their emissions, that's not the whole picture.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, so yeah, it's absolutely ridiculous that, that they would let Coca-Cola sponsor the whole thing. I mean, yeah. Again, I just feel like it's way past time to stop doing this shit. And like if you need Coca-Cola to be able to pay for this massive thing, then make it smaller and more focused and kick out the fucking trade show component. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, the other thing we kind of mentioned this, um, but just like the the whole oil state thing has been really interesting at this COP. I think finally people are starting to understand that like those are also oil companies. There's been a thing for a long time where it's like, we'll talk about Exxon and Shell, but not about, you know, Saudi and UAE. Um, I think Saudi's like greenwashing tent this year (laughs) is drawing more attention to that. So um, Akshat Rathi, who we had on, on the podcast, is there on the ground. And he, um, he had a very entertaining uh, thread on Twitter about this and also has, has written about it. Um, oh, I but, miss you know, it, it was hilarious. See, like there, you know, it's all the sort of, oh, here are the five actions that you individuals can take to deal with climate. Um, and meanwhile, their entire goal there is to, you um, They're like they're fighting with India about a particular line in the final agreement, which is um, currently, you know, or or was talking about the phase down of coal. And India is lobbying for it to be the phase down of fossil fuels entirely. So not just coal, but like all fossil fuels, which, yeah, they're right. And Saudi is like, "Mm -mm, mm -mm, mm -mm, no. Oh, wow. (laughs) So... So, yeah, the the contrast between what they're actually doing at COP and what their messaging is is very stark.
0: Yeah. Um, Yeah, yeah. Well, let's talk about the big exciting thing happening at COP and something we've been alluding to on on the shows leading up to now is all this talk about debt. Um, And Mm -hmm. if you did not listen to our episode uh, about Barbados and global debt and climate colonialism, please go back and listen to that. Um, It's really instructive. So let's talk about what the prime minister of Barbados, Mia Motley, has been up to after the break.
1: take is brought to you by real paper Mary you know by now that this is my favorite product I know it's toilet paper I I don't care I love it (laughs) I think we all know Amy (laughs) This is, again, like one of those things where, um, you know, people talk about some of the individual choices you can make that can add up to a big difference. And I feel like toilet paper is just a no brainer. Why would you buy something that's made from trees that we need as carbon sinks when you could buy real paper, which is made from sustainable bamboo, which grows like grass and can be cut and harvested without causing any harm at all.
0: I had guests this past weekend, and they were like, okay, so can I ask you a weird question? I was like, yeah, sure. And they were like, where did you get your toilet paper? Oh,
1: see? (laughs) It's not just me. People love this stuff.
0: It's so good. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. They
1: recently added the Little Lemur's Box. It's a 24-pack of their bamboo toilet paper that comes with a beautifully illustrated kids' book. That tells an exciting story about sustainability. Yeah. Super cute. Even just the normal. I know. Even just the normal box is like, it's cute. They have, everything is individually wrapped, but in tissue paper, not, you know, plastic as toilet paper Mm -hmm. usually arrives. Um, And each little roll, I don't know, is, it's cute. Like you can have it out in your bathroom without it feeling like a frat house. (laughs) You know? Right. Right. Um, Yeah. Real Papers, Little Lemur's Box, and all of their products are available in easy, hassle-free subscriptions or for one-time purchases on their website. All orders are conveniently delivered to your door with free shipping in 100% recyclable, plastic-free packaging. If you head to realpaper.com lemur, that's L-E-M-U-R, and sign up for a subscription using our code HOT at checkout, you'll automatically get 30% off your first order and free shipping. Let Reel help you with your stocking stuffers and holiday gift giving. Actually, I would love to get a roll of Reel paper in my stocking. I know you would. (laughs) Hint, hint, everyone. That's R-E-E-L-P-A-P-E-R dot com slash lemur and enter the promo code HOT to get 30% off your first order plus free shipping. Hot Take is brought to you by Sleep Me. Science tells us, Mary, that you're wrong. And in fact, the best way to achieve and maintain consistent deep sleep is by lowering core body temperature. Sleep and cold. That's what you got to do.
0: Where was science last night at 3 a.m. when it was 30 degrees outside and I couldn't (laughs) sleep?
1: Where was science then? I don't know. I don't know. Temperature controlled sleep repairs muscles after a hard day's work and improves cognitive function. So you always start your day feeling sharp and alert. We have very divergent opinions on this. I love sleeping cold and that's why I love Sleep Me. (laughs) Um, Sleep Me makes the coldest and most comfortable sleep systems available. It's the new home for what was chilly sleep. They create the environment that meets the body's natural need for lower core temperatures, promoting deeper restorative sleep. It works great for me, honestly. Like, I think it is maybe the most effective thing for my insomnia. They also just launched the new Doc Pro Sleep System, which has two times more cold power than other models. It's super, super quiet and has a tubeless mattress pad design that allows for five times more cooling contact. That's what I'm talking about. Colder. Oh, yeah. Pair it with the new Sleep.me app for enhanced device control and sleep scheduling. Oh, that's cool. So you can have it cycle through. Head over to Sleep dot me slash h t to learn more and save 25% off the purchase of any new doc pro cube or ular sleep system this offer is available exclusively for hot take listeners and only for a limited time that's sleep s l e e p dot me m e slash h t to take advantage of our exclusive discounts and wake up refreshed every day Another pitch for folks to send in their questions to hottake at Crooked.com. We need them. We're doing a mailbag episode. Can't do it without a mailbag.
0: Yeah. You need a bag full of mail.
1: Yeah. If you are confused about anything from dad jokes to... Just, just ask us
0: whatever, okay? You listen to the show. You know the shit we talk yeah. about. Ask us your yeah. questions. If we don't know the answer, we'll make it up. Yeah, or we'll we'll ask someone who might know. Amy Send might. It all. I'll make it
1: up. <laughs> <laughs> Send it to hottake at crooked.com. Yeah, so actually, I mean, this cop has been referred to as Africa's cop, and I think maybe more aptly should be referred to as like the global south cop. Yeah. Because you have really large blocks of global south countries um, and I think I mean maybe this is this is just my own experience but to me it really seems like having more influence this year than I've seen them have in the past um, so starting with Mia motley she is is suggesting something called the Bridgetown agenda um, which is looking to reform the financial system so that developing countries, don't have to choose between using their you know GDP or national budgets to repay these massive debt burdens or invest in energy transition and climate adaptation. So this is very much what Barbados did and what we talked about in that episode was, you know, came up with a with a plan that enabled them to pause their debt payments so that they could actually use the country's money to prepare for the inevitable increasing hurricanes and sea level rise and all of that stuff because they were in this position that a lot of global south countries are in where they've taken on debt um, from various development banks and the international monetary fund the imf and are now like um so strapped with debt that like you know, I don't know. I don't know if you've ever been in the position of like only being able to pay the interest on your credit cards. Uh,
0: yeah. Basically, yeah. Yeah. I have.
1: Yeah. I think we can all relate. Um, <laughs> yeah. I was like, I look at this and I'm like, Oh my God. Yeah. You know? So it's like when you're doing that and all your money is going to that, you don't have the money to like, you know, fix the broken light in your house. Right. right. Or like get your car running. That's Mm -hmm. very much the position that a lot of global South countries are in where they're just paying like the maintenance payments on their debt and they don't have enough left over to do things like move people out of um, coastal areas that are eroding or um, strengthen roads in those areas or fund cleaner energy projects, any of that stuff. So, um, So that's the big thing. That she is coming to cop with, and actually, like the proposal is really gaining traction. So, um, French President Emmanuel Macron is backing her proposal. <gasps> ha, ha. Um, Macron, um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm so immature. Um, the, uh the eu <laughs> the eu negotiator um jacob worksman described it as a quote very powerful vision of what could be achieved um germany and the us uh, are are supportive of this idea so i i think it like it really has the potential to to be a successful proposal. Um, and there again, like this is the kind of thing that, okay, yeah, it's not a, you know, a binding treaty necessarily, but if you've got like most of the, um, global North countries and, um, you know, the world bank and the IMF and all that kind of backing this, then it's probably (laughs) going to work. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it would open up, um, some amount of of money to global south countries because uh, you know part of this whole debt situation also means that they can't access new money to to do things like fund climate adaptation. So it would kind of fix that. Um, it would increase the lending capacity of multilateral development banks. Um, it would create a five hundred billion dollar fund that would uh, potentially also have uh, what are called special drawing rights. So it would enable global South countries to, to kind of access that in an emergency. And it comes with an automatic declaration of loss and damage funding. When an event costs more than 5% of a country's GDP, that part is really huge mm. um, because we're seeing that, right? Look at Pakistan. Yeah. Um Like, if, look at Nigeria. If, look at Nigeria. Like I, you know, we're we're already seeing those things yes. happening. Um, in in Mia Motley's own um, neck of the woods, you know, you've had entire islands get wiped out by hurricanes. Yeah. Um, entire, yeah. you know, economies be wiped out. So, um, also she's proposing this part I love the most: a levy on fossil fuel producers which would kick in as prices fall to avoid the um, effects of fossil fuel price crisis and, like, increases for um, for citizens in these countries. So Wait, I don't is, know what a levy is. Oh, it's a, a tax, a fine. Oh, okay. You know, money. They're going to get money from fossil fuel
0: companies. I was like, which oh, they're going to dam the river?
1: <laughs> no. No. <laughs> no. <sighs> So yeah, so that's all really really good. Um, there's a couple of other things that that like kind of groups of global south countries are doing at COP. Um, there are a few countries that are proposing climate prosperity plans. So um, Bangladesh, Ghana, the Maldives, and Sri Lanka are proposing these plans that are are basically um, you know looking for investors in. Uh, green energy transition, um, clean tech, all of that kind of stuff. Uh, So not really looking at things like roads and infrastructure adaptation, but really like fueling new technology for, for cleaner energy. And then um, South Africa um, has, has put forth what it calls a just energy transition partnership Mm -hmm. Um, so this is like, okay, how can we maybe, you know, again, like this is, this is a little bit like, as we wait for everyone to figure out this whole loss and damages question, like, can we pair specific countries together to help each other out? You know, like, can we, um, go, you know, country to country and say, okay, you, France and Germany are going to lend us South Africa, money to um adapt to climate change so that that kind of thing is starting to happen a little bit which is is very interesting too um the other big thing that is being talked about right now is um what's called a global shield against climate risk so this is kind of it's basically like a large insurance policy <laughs> and mm. um and it would basically get money In from um more developed countries to help when there are really large disasters Mm -hmm. um like so money that can quickly be deployed when something like the pakistan or nigerian flooding happens um and and it already has pledges from germany france ireland denmark the u.s and canada um And it it has its first recipients already, which will be Bangladesh, Costa Rica, Fiji, Ghana, Pakistan, the Philippines, and Senegal. So this is great. Um, It has been criticized a little bit because uh, some people think it it sort of distracts from the loss of damages conversation. Mm. You know, it makes people think, oh, well, this is already taken care of. This is a separate thing. This is more of like an aid package, but because um, of the way that it's been set up and the way that it's talked about, it can kind of um, seem like, oh, well, this is already doing loss and damage.
0: Right. And loss and damage is officially on the agenda. This cop, is it the first time? Uh, It is the first time that the cop is like starting
1: with loss and damages on the agenda. Yes. And and that was like a pledge that Egypt made very early on when it was selected as a host country. And it definitely delivered like that happened day one. Um, so that's great. Uh, there's a lot of debate still. <laughs> mm. <laughs> a lot. Um, I don't know. It's really it's so we were talking before about this 1992 Rio Earth Summit and then Kyoto in 97. And it's weird to me to see how much like a lot of the fossil fuel industry's kind of narrative has not changed that much. Like it shifts slightly depending on what suits them. (laughs) I mean, if it ain't broke, Amy. I know. It's just wild. Like in, so in the nineties, their big thing was like, it's not fair that global South countries aren't required to reduce their emissions Mm -hmm. Like, why should we have to do it if they don't? Right. Just because we
0: broke it. Why should we have to fix it?
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And now today it's a combination of things. Right. One is, you know, well, we have our own problems to fix. So how could we possibly afford to fix yours, too? And the other is it's unfair to not allow global South countries the miracle of um, you know fast development via quote unquote cheap fossil fuel energy. Uh-huh. Um, so they're they're advocating for delaying um, the timeline for for global South countries to have to comply with emissions re- uh, reductions too. so it's it's weird. it's like they're almost they're making actually almost the exact opposite argument now that they made in the 90s um, because now, it benefits them to have Global South countries hooked on fossil fuels, especially on fossil fuel development, which is another big thing that has come up in this COP, because not all Global South countries are the same, right? They're not a monolith. And some of them are also oil countries.
0: Right. Right. Um like that complicates Egypt.
1: things, like Egypt, like Nigeria, um so is, oil, is nigeria yeah. an oil
0: state though it's a major oil producing country um, it's they a don't major have... oil exploited company like it's not well that's the thing i think
1: that's the really important thing so actually like the the president of nigeria muamadu buhari wrote this op op-ed in the washington post that i thought was really interesting because he he was trying to make this argument like you know, don't tell Africans that they can't use their own resources. But Nigeria is not using that oil. They're they're it, like it's being it's being extracted by US and European oil companies and then exported elsewhere.
0: Right. So they don't have a state owned oil company it's not, like the UAE. It's not like um yeah, like, or like Russia. Like,
1: yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like it's not like a, just a self-sufficient oil and gas system, you know, like if that's what we were talking, what we're talking about, like allowing, um, global South countries with fossil fuel reserves to use those fossil fuel reserves themselves until they're able to transition. That's a different conversation than we need to allow these countries to, um, like sell their oil to privately owned oil companies, which theoretically, like, it's always painted as, oh, that's going to give them wealth that's going to lead to development. And that is actually what the Nigerian president is arguing for. Um, He's Mm. like, well, we should be able to continue to, like, you know, benefit financially from this situation. But I don't know if you talk to a lot of citizens in Nigeria they're not feeling like they're benefiting financially from this. No, you know, this is always it's always sold as like, oh, when oil comes to town, everybody gets rich. But that's just not true. When oil comes to town, a small handful of people get very rich, and everybody else gets cancer.
0: Right. Um, <laughs> <you know>? Right. <laughs> like, and also, um, like, it, yeah. reminder that Nigeria is still underwater. Nigeria is that's still right. flooded. So, you know, that's right. But then it's,
1: it's really, really interesting because he, you know, has made this very impassioned plea for loss and damages where he's saying, you know, don't tell us when we're only responsible for, you know, a few percent of emissions. And even if, you know, we, even if our share of, of um, like, even if we used all of our natural gas, our share of emissions would only rise from 3% to 3.5%, like we're not the problem, yada, yada, which is true. But like, there's this other component to it that's kind of like, you know, being ignored. So I, to me, I'm like, this is the act, but like a really thorny question because in, you know, like the history of, of oil and gas exploitation is one of like American and European countries going in to countries and extracting their oil. And then Um, being sort of kicked out in in waves over history and then let back in. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like um, countries will nationalize their oil, kick the private companies out, and then decide that they want the additional money that comes from letting private companies handle it and let them back in. Um, So, yeah, it's like, you know, we can't, it's, it's, um, it's not straightforward and, and it's definitely very, very messy. Um, My answer is always like, well, if you want fossil fuel money, how about
0: we just take it from the fossil fuel
1: companies to I, fund loss and damages?
0: I feel um, like that's a pretty solid solution, quite honestly. Um, yeah.
1: And well, and because again, like we were saying, you know, before about that, like, like the the planet the atmosphere doesn't care about your compromises unfortunately like that that holds true here too like no more new fossil fuel development means no more new fossil fuel development and it doesn't matter where it is Mm -hmm. and unfortunately it doesn't matter whether that's like quote unquote fair or not I had someone in Guyana actually um counter this to me where she said you know I don't get this idea that Because you guys um, made a giant mistake, we should get to make that same mistake, even though we know it's a mistake. Yeah. I don't understand why people are arguing for that. But there are a significant number of people who are arguing for that.
0: I mean, I Um, think it's, like, an easy role to take. And it's also just, like, hella insulting to have the people who wreck the world tell you what to do. And, like, especially when you've been in this position of watching the world get rich off of your resources. And then that very rich world tells you that you, now that your resources are under your own control... You yeah. can't benefit from them. You can't profit right. from them. Like that is a morally mm-hmm. bankrupt argument. And it also makes it me totally think about, is. right. And it also makes me think about, you know, these countries being in so much debt when it's mm-hmm. their wealth that, that the global North has gotten rich off of. So like, That's right. Exactly. Right. So these shouldn't be these are actually very rich countries when it comes to like minerals and also cough cough people, right? Mm -hmm. Like these are they've had their literal bodies extracted from. Um and now like they're being saddled with all of this debt and being like positioned as like, oh, they don't want to pay what they owe. Why the fuck do they owe you anything? If anything, they are owed. That's right. That's right. Yeah,
1: that's exactly right. The the one fly in the ointment there is that for the most part these countries are not getting rich today off of this resource they are still being extracted from by multinational oil companies like but they're getting rich off this resource so i'm like okay if we want to say like hey nigeria should benefit from this which honestly i think the industry absolutely owes nigeria debt then you know it's like okay um help them actually use this resource themselves for some period of time as a transition and pay them for all the fucking damage that you caused. Mm
0: -hmm. The end.
1: You know, like, I don't think it's Nigeria's um, responsibility to solve that. I think it is the companies that have benefited from the status quo for the last hundred years. Mm -hmm. And the governments that have, like, propped them up and also benefited from that. Um, So yeah um okay so the the goal of COP every year is to generate an agreement amongst countries a non-binding agreement but still an agreement about how the world is going to move forward on climate and there has been a lot of talk about previously agreed upon targets being weakened mostly you know in the wake of the Russia-Ukraine war and rising gas prices and also rising energy demand and all of these things coming out of this cop. So we'll, we'll be keeping an eye on, on what's happening, um, in those negotiations and kind of like who's arguing for what and where it all nets out. Um, but we won't have that for at least another week. So, you know, we'll see what happens this week. Um, definitely seems to be more heavy on the, the loss and damages, front so oh and i just want to mention too by the way that like all of the global north countries agreed 10 years ago to loss and damages at a cop oh they did now they fucking agreed to it already this is the thing that kills me is like in 2013 the negotiator from the philippines yeb sano showed up and his country was dealing at the time with a super typhoon, so super typhoon Haiyan. Hmm. And he made this very impassioned plea that uh, the global north needed to, um, that, that basically, like, we needed to admit that the cops had not achieved what they set out to achieve, which was to stop this shit from happening in the first place. Yeah. That it was happening and that, therefore, the conference needed to shift to, like... How are we going to address it? And part of that needs to be loss and damages. And at that COP, Global North countries agreed to create a loss and damages fund and to fund it with $100 billion a year by 2020. No one... Uh, Did they do it? No, they did did not do it. They did not do it. Um, That's why we're still talking about it. I mean, that's the thing that pisses me off is like people act like this is some new radical idea when actually y'all already agreed to it in 2013 that was 10 years ago almost come on Uh you know like I just um so yeah a lot of that's why a lot of the the global south negotiators are understandably really like losing patience on this because it's like we already went through this y'all already agreed to it and now John Kerry is like who has that kind of money (laughs) (laughs)
0: I mean, your defense
1: department, for one. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, oh, we should mention that, too, that um, John Kerry has suggested this, that um, we fund loss and damages through basically like a global carbon market. Um, And, you know, okay. I like I'm not against putting a price tag on, on carbon. The biggest problem with that generally is that the price tag is never accurate. It's always, like, way lower than it needs to be. Um, and, again, I'm like, why do we need some other mechanism when you can just take it directly from the fossil fuel companies? Yeah. i like, I, I agree. The private, in, like, private industry should um, solve this problem by giving us their fucking money.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's also, like, it's kind of crazy for John Kerry to be like, who has that kind of money when we're expecting countries in the global South to pay these big ballooning debts?
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: And adapt exactly. to climate change. But what's what's really interesting, it sounds like with this year's COP is that it's way more about adaptation than it is about mitigation. It's all about mm-hmm. like, how are we going to weather this storm? Yes. How are we going to fortify against the storm? All right are you hearing anything yeah. about talk about mitigating because we we can't adapt without mitigating we still need to reduce greenhouse gases and I'm not hearing anybody talk about that at this cop
1: it's it's definitely way less the one place I'm hearing it is there is a push to get more people to sign on to um well a there's this argument that that India is pushing for um, to to really bake phasing out fossil fuels into the overall agreement so that's huge. It's really it's really huge that it's India pushing it because they have not historically been um and you know it's definitely possible that they're pushing it just to fuck with Saudi
0: Arabia mm-hmm. but I like
1: it I don't care I like it um that's a big thing there's also a push to get more countries to sign on to a proposal that Costa Rica made last year which was um to get like all of the COP countries to sign a, a like you know fossil fuel non-proliferation pledge to to say like, okay, we're now getting on the path to actually get like getting off of fossil fuels, like to actually commit to that. Um, Which only five countries did last time, but there's a push to get more this time. Um, So those are the two things that I've seen. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. But definitely much more dominated by adaptation Climate, quote-unquote, resilience, all that kind of stuff, for sure.
0: And, yeah, well, what's also interesting and a little bit encouraging with this year's COP is that Brazil's back, baby! Yes! Lula in the house! Yeah! Uh, Bolsonaro was uh, not a friend of the COPs, not a friend of the Paris agreements.
1: Bolsonaro also like Trump made this big pledge to pull out of the Paris agreement if he was elected, but then weirdly like did not actually ever end up doing that. Um, So Brazil has actually been signed on to the Paris agreement all of this time. They've just been flouting it entirely. <laughs> um, mm. So yeah, it's interesting to have, um to have Lula there. And then also is like kind of a big test of um some of the, the statements that he made on the campaign trail about how he's really determined to turn the ship around on climate for, for Brazil. So Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, definitely like there is actually like a, there is a lot of of interesting stuff happening. It'll be, it'll be very, very interesting to see what comes of. um, I think like the two things that are, that are most interesting to me are, well, I guess three is like, will they end up with a phase out of fossil fuels in the tre- in the agreement um and then will mia motley's proposal be successful and will they come to some kind of agreement on loss and damages mm-hmm. uh, those are the the three things i'm really like keeping an eye on so yeah we'll see we'll see we'll keep you posted
0: Take is a Crooked Media production.
1: It's produced by Ray Pang and mixed and edited by Jordan Cantor.
0: Our music is by Vasilis Voltopoulos. Leo Duran is our senior producer,
1: and our executive producers are Mary Anais Hegler, Michael Martinez, and me, Amy Westervelt.
0: Special thanks to Sandy Gerard, Ari Schwartz, Kyle Seglin, and Charlotte Landis for production support, and to Amelia Montooth for digital support.
1: You can follow the show on Twitter at RealHotTake and subscribe to Crooked Media's video channel at youtube.com slash crookedmedia.